Welcome to the Mission Remix Podcast. Throughout history, God has been on mission to redeem the world and reconcile those living within it to himself. The gospel which serves to accomplish this remains the same, but the styles and ways God's people on mission locally frame it for those in their own culture and neighborhoods change. Like some artists, ministers with a mindset to carry out God's mission where they live, they take the familiar words of a song and then arrange it and mix it to have a fresh hearing to their own audience who needs to hear it. These are their stories. These are their methods. This is the Mission Remix Podcast. Welcome to the Mission Remix Podcast. I'm Tika Montoya along with my co-host, Today, co-host today, Brian Sadler. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Good, good. Well, today, folks, you are in for a treat as we welcome Mr. Charles Anderson. He is the founder and CEO of Epiphany Life Change Ministry. Um, we're going to let him tell his story and learn about his ministry that God has um, led him to in a moment. Um, I want to start off by reading a, a verse, and I think this is a, a great verse as we're talking about missions. And it says this in Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And these are the words of Jesus as he preached one of his first sermons. He opened up the roll, the scroll of Isaiah. And um, I also want to let y'all know to start by letting our listeners know that here at South Main Baptist Church in Pasadena, we have a missions ministry led by Bill McMillan. I think everybody at this table knows Bill McMillan. And we partner with over 20 different ministries around the Houston area. Um, we also have two um, in different states in the Pacific Northwest of Washington and Oregon. Um, Bill McMillan does a wonderful job of knowing where God is at work and then partners with these ministries. And today we will have an opportunity to hear from one of these. Mr. Charles Anderson is with us. And as we start, um, Charles, um, will you give us kind of a brief history of yourself and the ministry that God has called you to do? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, well, you know, I'm a, a military brat. My, my father was in the Air Force. Uh, and so after graduating from high school, uh, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, uh, I joined the Army. Uh, uh, so I, I spent 10 years in the Army, and after I got out of the Army, I was so used to wearing the uniform, it made sense for me to start working in a correctional facility because I could go back mm -hmm. to wearing the same thing every day. And so I started working in corrections. I've worked, I've worked about 20 years in three different states in corrections, but mm -hmm. my last assignment uh, here in Texas uh, I was working in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and I kept seeing men go home and come back, mm. go home and come back. And so uh, I had gotten to the place where I was uh, working uh, in the laundry department. And in the laundry department, you have a lot of downtime with just sitting around talking to men. And so I would ask the question, you know, after being here one time, what would make you come back to this place? I mean... Uh, I, I understand mistakes, but I said, what would make you come back to this place? And guys all would say from varying degrees, uh, Sergeant Anderson, uh, there's no support for us when we mm. get out. Mm. The places that I don't need to go nowhere near is the only places that are leased to me. 
Familiar so, so I'm going right back into <laughs> the community that I came out of that 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 led me to prison the first time. So I'm wow. in that community, and 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 like anything else, hard times comes, right? Mm-hmm. Hard time comes for all of us. So hard times come. Well, you and I might have coping mechanisms for hard, hard times. We work our way through that. But, but some of them don't have the coping mechanism. When hard times come, they go back to using and abusing and, and stealing and robbing. And so they end up back in the penitentiary. So I thought to myself, okay, what can I do to help this situation? And so while I was working, I just started interviewing every every guy that had ever been to a halfway house. And I said, hey, what is it that is good about halfway houses and what is it that's bad? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I asked him if you were going to build one, what are the things that you would put in it? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we assume that we know what's best mm-hmm. for them when when we don't. We wow. haven't walked in their shoes. We don't know how they think. And so getting feedback from them, uh, I, I sought out to put together a program that met the major needs that they told me. And those major needs was uh, uh, secure, nice, safe housing, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, employment, mm-hmm. uh, and a systematic way of walking, like the phase, like you start off at phase one, phase two, so that they could grow, so that they could be transitioned from being dependent on the state to be independent, and, and, and that's a problem. How do you take somebody, my oldest residence that I've had come through my program was incarcerated for 56 calendar years. Wow. How do you take somebody that was incarcerated for 56 calendar years, mm-hmm. set him out, give him $100 and say, do life. Mm-hmm. He hasn't seen freedom in 56 years. Mm-hmm. So he needed a systematic way to grow from here. Okay, I'm no longer a ward of the state. Mm-hmm. But I'm not ready to be out here by myself. Mm-hmm. So he had to have a system to transition. And as he meet certain uh, uh, milestones, then he goes to the next milestone. And by the way, that resident is doing well. He has his own mm-hmm. apartment, has his own uh, vehicle. He, he holds down a job. He actually delivers uh, parts for an automotive shop okay, uh, okay. Uh, because you know he was pretty good at driving. And so that's kind of how I got into this is watching guys uh, go home, and come back and then trying to figure out what, what added to that situation. Wow, wow. I, I'd like for us to know a little bit, um, you know, maybe maybe it, your context that you go in. So uh, meaning like, you know, you're, you're working. Give us a little bit of background of some of these folks and where they're coming from when they come out of the prison. Like you you kind of highlighted some of these things. Yeah. But maybe general ideas of what the, what the struggles that they struggle with and like you said employment but maybe maybe some mental health stuff maybe they're they're going through maybe family life you know those things that they're trying to transition what are they trying to to get back to well, well the biggest thing is is look the, the thing that uh contribute to uh, men and women being incarcerated is is lacking the ability to navigate life mm. in the free world mm. they're used to schedules and used to being told to be here and be there and um, you know, I would I would think that free time uh, for you know for them is something that you know other than being maybe in the out in the yard or getting to shoot hoops a little bit or maybe in the weight room or something uh, within the prison system um, would be the only quote free time. I guess there might be some other free time, but free time and like what you're saying in the real world um, or in real life um, can lead to some bad retreats to habits that you know. 
like you said earlier, had gets them right back in there and then stuff that they can have difficulty with. Yeah, when a person is incarcerated, they have to switch cultures, right? Incarceration does not teach you how to navigate life. Mm-hmm. It teaches how to it teaches you how to navigate incarceration. Mm-hmm. And so when you get out, if you went in and you didn't know how to navigate life, you're not coming out knowing how to navigate life. You're coming out still not knowing how to navigate life, but you got a different problem now. Yes. Because statistics show that if you were incarcerated from 18 months to two years, mm-hmm. anything above that, that you're institutionalized. That means that you have learned to function in prison culture. If you've learned how to function in prison culture, there are nuances in prison culture that don't are not the same that are those that are in the free world. I'll give you an example. So my first halfway house when I got out was in Channelview. And there is a convenience store at the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that convenience store at the corner, uh, the guys from my facility would walk down there, get soda. Get, I mean, it's not a grocery store. It's just a convenience store. Mm-hmm. So one of the guys goes in and he buys a cigarette lighter. Uh, 90 cent. Yeah, and, and like anything else, uh, when you go to buy a cigarette lighter, they make you track it in front of them. Uh, if it works, once you leave the store, that sale's over. Mm-hmm. So he leaves the store with the cigarette lighters, and for whatever reason, all on his fingers, he got it wet, I don't know. But when he tried to strike it outside the door, it wouldn't work. So he tried to take it right back in and get another one. Mm-hmm. But the guy behind the counter said, nah, if all sales are final. That's why I had you strike it before you left to prove that it worked before you bought it. And so he says to the guy, uh, don't think that this plexiglass is going to protect you. I'll wait till you get off work and I'll do something to you. That's that's a prison mentality. Mm. And the prison mentality, he felt like the guy was trying to hog him or disrespect him. So because of my relationship with the community, they called me instead of the police mm-hmm. and, and said, hey, one of your guys is down here and he's causing a scene. So I, I went down there and got him and put him in the car. And I said, hey, you know, you just almost went back to prison for 90 cents. He said, what do you mean? I says, what you just did is a terroristic threat. If he'd have called the police because you threatened him, they'd have picked you up and you'd have violated your parole mm-hmm. and you'd have went wow. right back to prison mm-hmm. for but in your eyesight is 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 just protecting that somebody's not taking advantage of me. So that 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 transition from incarceration back into the free world is a hard transition uh, because uh, uh, because you didn't know how to navigate life before you went. And then just imagine us uh, in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. It does not matter if you spent twenty minutes or twenty years. You getting you coming out with the same amount, one hundred dollars. Mm. So if you imagine giving me a hundred dollars and 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 putting me in a different country, because basically that's what it is, mm-hmm. and saying that I have to survive in a day, a day and a half, I'm out of money. I got to do something to survive. Think about it like this: I I was filling my truck up a couple of weeks ago, and to fill it up, it was one hundred and fifteen dollars or so. <laughs> and I said to myself. We as a society here in Texas is giving men less than a tank of gas to start mm. life with. All they have is the clothes on their back mm. and less than a tank of gas. Wow. And we want them to start life and survive and don't expect them to go back or turn to crime. And there's there's where the problem is. The problem is uh, if I didn't know how to navigate life when I went in, 
that I learned how to navigate life in prison. But coming back to the free world, I still don't know how to navigate life. And I get out here, you give me $100, and I spend most of that before I even have my first full day because I'm going to go have a meal. That could be 20 to $35. Um, I don't want these, these big clothes that the prison put me on just to put me out. So at the bus stop in Huntsville, there's a resale shop that's right there that's just for that. Yeah. So they go in, it cashes their little check, mm-hmm. and they can shop for clothes that's been donated to this shop. They sell to guys getting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so before you even get to where you're going, you're probably $50, $60 down of $100. And then you you just start in life. And so uh, uh, we have to figure out, and that's how I got involved with this, is I have to figure out for those that I can help, how can I transition them better? Yes. And that's pretty much how Epiphany started. And so, so I, Epiphany stands for this. Uh, biblically, the word Epiphany... Uh, is when the Magi uh, went to uh, see Jesus. And so it, it means an encounter with the divine. Mm. And so I truly believe that if you have an encounter with the divine, guess what? It produces a life change. Amen. So that's where the name came from, Epiphany Life Change. Wow. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. So to try to help these folks, and y'all y'all do halfway houses and life coaching, y'all go into the prisons as well and, and do those things? And the vast majority of our programming is inside the prison. Okay. Because, because what I realize is uh, for prison ministry to work on the outside, to really help a guy, then you have to have already formed relationship with him on the mm, inside absolutely. so that he trusts you mm. when he comes out and time gets hard. Mm. And so a lot of our focus uh, is on the inside. And, and here's why. Uh, 24, uh, I'm sorry, 74% of all crime is committed by a person without a high school diploma or equivalency. Mm. Okay, so so... Now, now watch this, 72 to 73% of people with just an associate degree never have a run-in with, with, with crime. So that means that education alone flips that number opposite. And, you know, you always got 25% of people that's just knuckleheads. You know, you, you sit <laughs> right. down and you, you hear their life story. And you say, why are you here? Mm-hmm. You, you had good education, good parents, the whole nine yards. Why are you here? You got 25% that fall in that right, category. Right. But for the most part, uh, 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 it, it's just education. So this is what we do. So we go in and we put Bible colleges on prison units. Mm. Uh, um, we started this year with five campuses. At this point, I'm up to 16, and we're trying to get to 25 this year. Uh, and here's the reason. If I can get a man to see that he can do college-level work, when he gets ready to get out, it changes uh, uh, his exposure and what he thinks he can do on the outside. And so our goal right now is to take those uh, uh, Bible schools inside. It's called to me the Urban Ministry Institute. Uh, take those Bible colleges inside, change men's and women's perspective uh, on their capacity so that when they come out, as we help them transition uh, with halfway houses and things like that, as they come out, it changes. But here's the big key. I don't just want them to come out and just fall back into society. I want them to come out and be good Christian people 
uh, on the outside. And so I want them to have a vision, a, a mission of what God has called them to do, because that's what's going to keep them out of trouble. What's going to keep you out of trouble is direction. Mm. knowing that, that, that there's something that God called you to do and now you're busy doing that. The problem is when most get out, even if they were in leadership in the church mm-hmm. on the inside, when they come to our churches, we as pastors, and we have a reason for it because we're responsible for the safety of everybody else in the church. Right, right, what we right. do is we say, before I can allow you to do anything in leadership, I need to watch you for some years. I need to sit right here, see if you come faithful and stuff like that. Right, right. Well, well, here's the problem. I hope nobody take this offensive, but I'm just real straight. The problem is you take a person that was very active in church on the inside in the institution, mm-hmm. and then you bring them out and, and you conform them to being what I think is the problem in most of our churches today is that we have members that do nothing but come to church on Sunday and pay their tithes. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's nothing else in their life that shows where they are in their Christian walk. Nothing's affecting them. So I sit you down in the auspices to watch you, but what I'm really doing is turning you into what everybody else is doing. And then you never do leadership. And so what we have to do is as we're transitioning these men and women from incarceration that we've trained, this is a four-year program that we've trained for four years for leadership. Mm -hmm. We have to produce some kind of way to get them in leadership when they get out. So, But these guys and girls that are coming out of the incarceration are from those neighborhoods. Mm. So what, what what stops us from when they get out there, we've given them all this education to bring them into a mission program and says, hey, why don't you join the evangelism team and go out into those communities and start doing evangelism where I, I don't feel comfortable going out in that community right. anymore. Just things like that. Yeah. That's good. All right, Brian, you got, you got something on your mind here. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I did some youth prison ministry myself for three or four years, okay. um, and we were operated at, out of Waco, Texas, okay. and we would hit Marlin, um, and, and this was back in 2007, okay. um, 2006, so it's been quite a while. At the time, there were nine juvenile um, prisons, um, and now there are only eight, I understand, okay. and uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was some of the challenges that you face, and, and before we get to that, though, it brought back memories for me. Um, because I don't know for for everyone listening, um, you know, you said that you guys do go into the prisons and you meet with these individuals, um, and it is critical to be able to do that sort of lay that foundation and start that trust early if you can get it. Uh, but one of the things that I encountered, and I wanted to see if this was similar for you, was just the cold hard reality of prison itself. And for many people who've never been to a jail to visit someone or never been to a prison to visit someone. This is something I think is very foreign to them. And so um, what Charles is saying makes so much sense, um, and, and it makes sense to me, and mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that people appreciate what this is. And what I'm talking about is going to the prison. I remember literally having to take my keys out, <laughs> take all my coins out, taking my wallet out, of course, you know, anything, my cell phone, anything that I had. And I remember putting it in the little box, and, you know, they knew who we were with, that we were a Christian group coming to so either write, either read the Bible or share our devotions with these young these young men, um, but nevertheless walking through that metal detector, mm-hmm. and then them saying we're going to keep your stuff, mm-hmm. and then on, when you come back because we couldn't take CDs, we couldn't take anything that could be 
turn into any kind of weapon into a weapon exactly um and i think these are all little details that people don't necessarily think of but we have to take into consideration and i remember the first time you know i think each time for me it became easier and easier and i'm sure it's the same for you um but that first time when i heard that jail door Mm. slam behind me bro that rocked my world. It, I mean, it, it, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Even now, I remember hearing it and and going down that long corridor and them giving us instructions of, you know, if something starts to happen, we have guards everywhere, get up against the wall, don't try to be a hero, you know, this kind of thing. I'm sure these are the same sorts of yeah, things. Same thing. They, 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 they'll tell you that if something does take place, we're going to treat you like you're an offender. Because we don't know who's who. That you step into a whole new culture when you walk into prison uh, society, and and those gates close behind you. Mm. But 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 here's the thing: uh, the vast majority of every person that is incarcerated is coming home. Mm. That's just truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they can come home one or two ways: mm. they can come home better, or they can come home worse. Mm. So volunteer services is the lifeline that goes into uh, a Texas Department of Criminal Justice and try to help change individuals for the better mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that when they come out into society, uh, they are better. Amen. But where we, where we miss it a lot is that we have, we have churches uh, uh, that are on a waiting list to get into a facility to do a service. Uh, but, but the problem is the most need is not uh, just doing church services. The most need is building relationship, is discipleship, and then transitioning with them. What we're trying to expand to, to get people to realize that um, uh, if God has blessed you to have extra time, if you're retired or something like that, there is men and women that are in incarceration that you could go in and begin to mentor or coach while they're inside and then help transition them outside. And I know that could be a daunting thing because I know a lot of people that's okay going in, really, right. they feel safe because the guards and everything is there to make sure nothing happened, but they really don't want to deal with men and women when they get out. I'm so, gl- I'm so glad you brought that up because that was our biggest challenge is that we had all these people who were very positive. We would visit churches and they'd say, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. Tell me what time to be there on Saturday when you guys go. And I was shocked at the no-shows. So many people that were so supportive saying, well, we'll be mm-hmm. there. You know, and, and we would have all these volunteers, just like what you're saying, that you know would say, we're going to be there. We're going to be shoulder to shoulder. We're going to go to the prisons with you and speak with these people. And they would absolutely be no-shows. And so it ended up many times, I'm sure it's the same for you, just me and, and my st- our staff, just the three or four of us, you know, when we thought we might have eight or nine or ten. And there was a room where these young men would be waiting, and there were school desks, and they had them spaced apart, and they would be waiting for someone to come in and just read the Bible to them. Just read the Bible. And we had an, a certain amount of time. I don't know if you guys get the similar thing, but we had a window of time. Mm-hmm. And I remember it broke my heart when the time was up, and we would get up and head to the door, and I would turn around, and you could count the students that we couldn't get to. But it reminds me of the of the story in, in the Gospels when the the young man comes to Jesus and says, what's the 
greatest commandments, you know, and all, all these kind of things. And then finally, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he even goes on further. You hear the story of the great Samaritan, of the good Samaritan, right? And, um, but then it becomes, well, hold on, <laughs> hold on here. I, I don't, I don't know if that that's going to be for me. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe that Samaritan is onto something. That just because, you know, he doesn't look the part or fit the part and maybe the person on the side of the road, Charles, Mm -hmm. is not the prisoner. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's me. Mm -hmm. And maybe the Samaritan could be that person that's a prisoner Mm -hmm. that's going to help you help me. Absolutely. Could be. So I, I think that it, it gives you that perspective, Could right? Be. And the ministry that y'all are doing gives you that perspective of, wow, you're, you're, you're really, you're really trying to change these lives through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, yeah. not yourself, oh, unless any man should boast, right? Yeah. It's through the power and the love and compassion, forgiveness and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, 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 and this has to be about God. Mm. And, and the reason that it has to be about God it's because you're going to take a bunch of L's doing this type of ministry. Mm. You're gonna Because mm. you're going to have people that are trying to take advantage of you mm. all the time. You're going to have people that's trying to hustle you all the time. You're going to have people that you've sold years into their lives to come out and get back on drugs and, and, and do things. And so if this is about you, you're going to burn out. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to quit. You're going to give up. But if you realize that the only thing that God commands us to do is to present to him to them. Mm. And he is capable, and it's his responsibility for change. It, it, it's not yours. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty blunt, so, so I can say this. Go uh, ahead, go ahead. A, a lot of us go into prison ministry, the ones that do, with a Tarzan mentality. We feel like we're going in to save the natives. Mm. And, and the truth of the matter is, if you come in with that mentality, and I'm from the streets, I already feel that you think that you're better than me, then the hustle part of me kicks in. And, 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 and so now <laughs> I'm going to try. defenses come up. That, that's part of my defenses. So now I'm going to try to, to hustle you for anything I can get out mm-hmm, of you. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you have that, that hustle be hustled two or three times, then you don't want to do prison ministry anymore because you feel like, man, they ain't changing. They don't want to do right. Uh, I'm not right for this. But the the reason is you went in with the wrong mentality. You went in thinking that you were the Savior, and you're not. You're you're just a representative of the Savior. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Yeah, you know, you so so, absolutely. And and so so it's mentality. But but that comes with training, right? Mm -hmm. So so just as much as as guys need ministry on the inside, uh, we that are in the free world need training on how to minister to guys on the inside. And so at Epiphany, we do both. So we we, we minister to, to men and women on the inside, but we also do what's called the Onesimus Workshop, where we come into churches and we do a workshop on how to receive returning citizens back in the church. And that's something that's needed, and this is why. And so it's probably more prevalent in, in, in my culture. For those of mm-hmm. you who have not figured it out yet, I'm black. Uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, Keep going. But, Come on. But but, but uh, when, when a guy gets out, if your church has been there ministering to them, when he gets out, he come into your church. Mm-hmm. He's going to come to your church, and he's tatted from head to toe. Mm. 
he's going to sit up front because that's what he's accustomed to doing inside. Mm -hmm. But guess what? All the people that's in the prison ministry at your church, they at the prison. What's left is folk that don't really deal with prison ministry people, mm -hmm. and they make him feel very, very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So once he's uncomfortable in free world church, he starts to isolate himself. And you know how it is with us individually. If we isolate ourselves, the devil will beat us half to death. Mm. We need community. We Absolutely. need uh, uh, people to be in our lives. And so uh, churches need to know how to accept, how to, how, how to welcome in returning citizens to their congregation. Uh, so that they don't bruise that Amen. also. So we have to do the work on both ends. Mm -hmm. We have to do the work of trying to uh, help these men and women that are going to come out. But we also have to do the work with our volunteers in our churches so that we can uh, we, we can help them understand how to receive them because it, it, it's, it's a balance. And I really think that most people don't get into prison ministry out of fear, and that fear is because all they have to go on is what they've seen on TV. Mm. And, and, and of course, TV is like the news. They're going to put the worst of the worst situations that you can possibly see uh, uh, so that they can make sure people watch. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it is for most of the time. For most of the time, a person makes a mistake or two. It might be from the culture that they're raised into. Because mm. here, here, let's be truthful. If I'm raised in a project, a, a place of poverty, being a drug dealer don't seem like it's immoral to me. Wow, that, that's just the progression. That's... If I'm, if my mother was in the gang, and my father was in the gang, then being in the gang is not immoral to me. That's just what we do. Right. And so, so, so me ending up in prison because I had gang activity. I'm still wandering around, figuring, trying to figure out why I'm here. Mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. just what we do in our community. And so, and so now you bring him out, and he's changing communities. We're trying to help him transition, and then he, he encounters uh, a church that treats him like he's still in. Wow. You know? So here's the thing that we, we, we run into a, a lot. Every issue that we have in life, uh, the Bible has an answer for it, right? Including this one. So. You heard me mention the Onesimus Workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a radio show called The Onesimus Show that just talks about the nuts and bolts of reentry. And this is why Onesimus, you've been in seminary, you know, yes. but for my listening audience. So, so, go ahead. In, in the book of Philemon, mm -hmm. small book, right after First and Second Timothy, is this little uh, book uh, th that talks about a runaway slave named Onesimus. Uh, that uh, encounters Paul while he was in prison. And Paul leads him to Christ. But Paul doesn't just lead him to Christ, he disciples him. Mm -hmm. After disciples them, the next thing that Paul says that, uh, 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 and this is why they're in prison, you need to go back to the master that you ran away from and take responsibility for your actions. Mm -hmm. So he says, you need to go back and do it. But what Onesimus doesn't know that Paul has sent Onesimus with a letter mm -hmm. to give to Philemon. Mm -hmm. And when, he, when Philemon gets the letter, the letter says this. It says that this is your runaway slave, Onesimus, that was not any good to himself or you before he left. Mm -hmm. But since he's encountered Christ and he's been discipled, he's not only good for himself, 
but he's also good for you and for me. Matter of fact, I would have rathered him stay here with me. Mm. That's how useful he is. But he needs to go take responsibility. He says, now something needs to switch, though. I don't need you to treat him like a slave anymore. I need you to treat him like a brother. Christ, brother of love. Okay, so now, but he says this. This is where we miss it. He says this. He says, but now if you feel like he still owes you something, put it on my account. Mm. Put it on my account. And so, so, so we need to, regardless of our biases, we understand for a person to come out of incarceration into the free world and make it, somebody's got to foot that bill. Somebody's got to embrace him and say, uh, uh, we want to treat him like a brother because he, he met Christ on the inside. This is, this is my aspect. I am your voucher. I am your Paul that says, I met whoever this is in prison. I discipled him, led him to Christ. He's coming out. I'm sending him back to your community. But now, pastors, I don't want y'all to treat him like an ex-con. Mm. I need you to treat him like a brother in Christ. Something's got to change. Something's, Something's got to change. Gotta change. And, and so if you treat him like a brother in Christ, then the likelihood of him doing something great is great. Because watch this. Onesimus became one of the greatest bishops in that area. Matter of fact, he is given credit for leading all of the slave camps to Christ. Amen. Yeah. And, and, so, and it was only by somebody who led him to Christ while he was in prison, mm -hmm. discipled him while he was in prison, and then when he came back, he ran into a community that accepted him and loved him and, and helped him transition. And so that's really pretty much what we're trying to do. And so um, I do want to uh, kind of reiterate the website, www.epiphanylifechange.org. Yes. Okay. Uh, so people want to go for information and just see what you're doing in, in ministry. Um, go go there. And um, there's also an email, info at epiphanylifechange.org. So if somebody wants to email you, I think there may be a couple of people that, that, that have done ministry. And they, can, and they can do that. They can email me. At info epiphany life change uh, dot org, or they could go to the website and there's a contact card there. They fill out the contact card there, and they can uh, they can get in touch with me that way. Um, uh, the broadcast you can go to my website, go to uh, our instructions, and go down to the Anisimus show, and you can click every episode of the Anisimus show that have. Uh, podcast and radio show that's played you can listen to them uh uh almost almost two years worth that, wow. that are there that you can mm. you can you can go back and listen and, and and if god puts it on your heart to 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 donate or to be a part of to volunteer you can do everything from that website uh um but if you just want to talk to me here's my cell phone number i don't mind you having wow look it's at him he's gonna pull it two six five one Sixty thirty five. Say that one more time. Say that one more time. It's eight three two six five one six zero three five. That's my personal cell phone number. But all of us are called to do ministry. And what we need to really concentrate on is realizing that some of us are called to go. I know that I'm called to go into to prisons, but I can't go in unless I'm sent. And so uh, what South Maine has done for me is allowed me to consistently be able to go in without worrying about how I'm going to take care of my own family mm. uh, 
or, or when I go in. And so it allows me to continually do ministry. And so so I, I just want those that, especially of uh, of the membership of this church, because this church has been supporting me uh, since I really got started, uh, to know that those things that you have, have, have given toward Epiphany Life Change has changed lives. Mm-hmm. That there are men and women that are now productive parts of society right now because you have allowed us to continue to work without having to worry about how we're going to feed our own families and do things to go in and help others. So if I don't say anything else uh, mm. on this podcast, I want the membership of, of South Main Baptist Church to know that we are truly uh, in your debt for allowing us to do what God has called us to do. Mm. Well, Mr. Pastor Charles Anderson, <laughs> thank you for joining us today on the Mission Remix podcast. And uh, if y'all want to, y'all can Go back and listen to this, and we hope that you um, enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed this. It's just a blessing to be able to conversate with you and have a a dialogue, not a monologue, but a dialogue, and yeah. to listen to your heart and your passion. And I know our folks and our members and those that will listen will appreciate this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I'm just a phone call away. You, as you can tell, I'm passionate about this, so call me. I'll talk about it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. We look forward to having you on again. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Charles. Thank you all for joining us today. Y'all have a blessed, blessed day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mission Remix Podcast. If you would like to hear more stories and conversations from those like our guests today who are living missionally in their own cultures and neighborhoods, be sure to hit like or click subscribe from wherever you're listening to this show. If this episode was encouraging and inspiring to you, feel free to share it with others who could use some encouragement too. The Mission Remix is a podcast of South Main Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, where we work, support, and partner with many missionaries and pastors like the one you heard today around the greater Houston area. If you would like to know how you can further support mission endeavors like these, whether that be through generosity or service, you can email us at info at Until next time, keep living on mission for the sake of your own neighborhood.